This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, I'm Amy Farley, Senior Editor at Fast Company. We're taking a look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Here's a conversation about closing the opportunity gap with Ken Chenault, Chairman and Managing Director of General Catalyst and former Chairman and CEO of American Express, Gerald Shertavian, the founder and CEO of Year Up, Ruth Bowen, Platform Automation Manager at Bank of America, and Julie Sweet, CEO of Accenture. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephanie Mehta, Editor-in-Chief of Fast Company. Welcome to the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Our next panel aims to explore the workforce of the future and how companies, nonprofits, educators, and mentors can close persistent gaps that have kept many talented and motivated young people from accessing professional opportunities and realizing their full potential. To help us explore this topic, I'm pleased to introduce Ken Chenault, Chairman and Managing Director of General Catalyst and co-founder of 110, a coalition of leaders working to elevate 1 million Black Americans in 10 years in jobs and careers with opportunities for advancement. He's also former Chairman and CEO of American Express. Gerald Chertavian is founder and CEO of Year Up, whose mission is to close the opportunity to divide by providing young people with skills and training, experiences, and support for their careers and academic aspirations. Julie Sweet is CEO of Accenture, where she has made equity and inclusion a hallmark of her tenure, publicly setting goals to increase employees and leaders of color at the professional services and technology company. Accenture is also a member of 110. Finally, Ruth Bowen is a vice president at Bank of America, where she's responsible for implementing process design improvement for the bank's Merchant Services Partner Certification Program. She's a 2013 graduate of Europe, and she mentors Europe students and newly hired graduates at Bank of America. Ken, Gerald, Julie, and Ruth, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm going to start with Gerald. You founded Europe more than 20 years ago. What were the challenges you were seeking to address back in 2000? And, and then I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit about what's changed and maybe more importantly, what hasn't changed. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. And, and thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, my experiences were perhaps most influenced uh, through the Big Brothers program in a 10-year-old boy uh, I met back in 1987 who lived in a neighborhood in New York City which was characterized as the most heavily photographed crime scene in New York City during that period. And after three years of being with David, my little brother, I saw something profound, which is David and his brothers and friends and cousins had all the ability, all the motivation, all the aspiration, but fundamentally what was limiting their opportunity was the zip code they grew up in, the bank balance of their parents, the school system they attended, and indeed the color of their skin. And so that struck me at that point that this was wrong. We were wasting so much talent from young people who wanted opportunity. And we know there are employers who want great talent in this country. And so there was effectively a broken market between the supply of the best talent 
in the demand for that, talent, that talent from employers. And so that began a journey for me to think through, well, how could we someday close that opportunity divide and create pathways for those young adults to get access to the best companies, and the best jobs in this country? And so you've been on this journey for 20 years. What have been the takeaways? I mean, the fact that we are still having this conversation 20 years after you started Year Up, um, it, it, it's a little depressing, actually. You know, this is a, a journey. Over 20 years, Europe has served 35,000 young adults and now been proven, in fact, this year confirmed through randomized controlled trial that we have raised wages for low-income young adults more than any other program in the United States history. So this is possible and it can be done. And I believe, Stephanie, we're at a point in time now and I look at the leadership that Ken has provided, that Julie has provided, look at what 110 is doing. This is a moment in time where we can make progress, we can recover from this pandemic in a way that's more equitable and more inclusive. And after 20 plus years of doing this, I'm more heartened today and optimistic about how we can make progress in this country than I have been in the past two decades. So this is something we can achieve. And in so doing, we can create a better democracy, a more healthy citizenry. Um, this is within the power of companies in this country. And 110 is perhaps the best example of how we can get systemic change long-term to create those pathways to good family-sustaining jobs in this country. Well, it's a great segue to 110. Ken, let me ask you a little bit about the impetus for starting 110. And, and, and I think one of the things that, that Gerald didn't mention in that list is also scale. You know, one of the things that is so notable about 110 is that $1 million, one, I'm sorry, 1 million person over 10 years goal. So talk a little bit about what prompted the founding of, of 110 and, and why the scale of what you're trying to accomplish is, is so significant. Clearly, what was the most motivating event was the murder of George Floyd. And Ken Frazier and I, two days after the murder of George Floyd, like everyone, we were shocked, we were horrified, and we said, what could we do? And the reality is that the segment of Black Americans who do not have a college degree, the reality is that 76% of Black Americans do not have a four-year college degree. And our view was that we need to do something that's more transforming and innovative, but we also have to do it in partnership and we have to collaborate. And that there was an opportunity for corporations, for the private sector, to really come together against a very critical issue. And what's also important is that all of these companies want to have a productive workforce. And one of the first calls that I made was to Gerald, given his success, my experience with Year Up. And Julie was also one of the first calls that I made. And both immediately understood the importance of this. And then fortunately, we were able to entice Ginny Rometty, who accepted on the spot, to be co-chair with Ken. And I think what's very important about this effort is we want to be transforming. We want to be innovative. But we picked this 10-year time frame 
and this 1 million target because we need to, in fact, operate at a larger scale. And no one company can do it on their own. And so, Julie, what was the impetus for you in aligning with 110, given that Accenture already has a number of pretty aggressive goals that you've set as an individual organization, as that sort of one big employer, and you guys onboard, you know, tens of thousands of, of young people every year. Can you can you speak to, to Ken's note that a coalition is as important as, you know, individual companies making commitments? Sure. Well, it does start with our belief that it's our responsibility to not only operate and lead Accenture uh, as, as an inclusive and diverse company, but that we have a responsibility to be doing so in our communities and to be making an impact. And, you know, what you heard from Ken and Gerald is about scale, innovation, sort of new things happening, right? Uh, and also accountability by having something that's clear. And that's the power of collaboration. And I was very excited to sign up because I've seen how these things actually happen. So for example, the New York City, um, New York CEO Jobs Council that was formed just prior to the pandemic, by bringing together in that case, 27 companies uh, with CUNY, we created micro-credentialing programs that didn't exist before that became, so that's the innovation, that became a way of now bringing more uh, diverse individuals without four-year degrees into companies like mine. And I just talked to 26 of those interns this summer who'd gone through that program. And so I have seen the power of it. In Chicago, we have an apprenticeship program that began with Greg Case, the CEO of Aon and I, that now has 40 companies. And there we work with Gerald's team because uh, we're able to do more at scale, each of us having apprentices, but there's a network that supports the apprentices and creates a network from them. And so the power of the scale is not just individually contributing it, but we can pool our resources to move faster, right? And so, you know, when, when Ken uh, called about 110, you know, the, the, the theory behind 110 is not a theory. Right, it is rooted in examples, and the ambition of 110 is to actually take these proven, um, you know, methodologies and actually then have something that is, you know, we hold ourselves accountable at at a greater scale than ever before. I want to bring Ruth into the conversation and, and talk about her experiences as a Europe graduate and and navigating Bank of America. But before we do that. I'd like to dig in a little bit into the kind of wholesale changes that need to take place throughout corporations to start to accommodate more individuals at the entry level who do not have four-year degrees. And I know this is something Gerald has written about for Fast Company and and, and Ken and, and Julie, you've both referenced this need for, you know, associate degrees and, and training to be certificates or proxies for, for the traditional four-year degree. So many institutions are set up. There's AI programs that just boot out your, your resume if you don't have a four-year degree. So, you know, Gerald, let me start with you. You obviously have created a special program, but what are some of the systemic things that need to happen in corporate America 
in order for more non-traditional candidates to find their way in the door? I think that the very first thing, Stephanie, is we use the word traditional and non-traditional, yet only eight out of 100 Americans, adults, have a four-year degree that they got between the ages of 18 and 22. So that's really the non-traditional person who actually had the privilege to go to college at 18, to graduate at 22. The average age of a Bachelor of Arts in this country is 28 years old. So we unfortunately did a disservice to our citizens by convincing folks that there was one path to success, a four-year degree, immediately. And if you didn't do that sequentially after high school, you were not a success. And the fact is, is we have to encourage multiple pathways, whether it's community colleges, work-based programs, military apprenticeships, to value those equally and then develop the systems such that we can hire for skills, not schools, right? Hire for professionalism, not pedigree, um, for the competences that we need, not just the credentials. And so I think 110, what 110 has done is so significant, and I applaud the leadership. They reduced across all of 110 the percent of jobs that require a four-year degree. They committed to reduce that from 88% down to 50%. That creates millions of opportunities for Americans who have not yet had an opportunity to get that four-year degree. And it's important, Stephanie, because right now we can predict in this country whether you will get a four-year degree more by your bank balance than your SAT score. Now, when you have a country that does that, that is not the American dream, right? So we, by the leadership of 110, we have the opportunity to redefine what it means to hire for skills, hire for those attitudes, those behaviors, and then support folks to get that education and get those degrees. It may take a little more time. Stephanie, can I just add something though? You know, one of the things Gerald said before was he's optimistic because this is a moment. And I think Gerald was talking about, you know, part of what the impetus of like, you know, as Ken said, you know, people are committed. But there's something else that relates to this is this is a moment when the need to tap into uh, all individuals, regardless of degree, is real, right? Because what companies have to focus on in skills, and I'm going to predict right now, in five years, the entire conversation around CHROs is only going to be about skills. We made that at Accenture, we made that shift two years ago, and we're a good bellwether, right? We can tell you right now what 90% of our people, what their skills are. We use AI to then anticipate. So who can we upskill for changing in demand at a time we do uh, the, 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 yeah, the war on talent? And so the, one of the reasons I think we should be confident is the moment is now because there's a huge, not only demand for talent, but there's an understanding that skills and the need for skills changes. And so degrees aren't what they used to be. If you look at Accenture today, almost 50% of our um, job requisitions do not require a four-year degree because we're focusing on skills. Now, right now, about 20% of the ones we actually hire don't, right? But it has to start with that. And I'm very optimistic because 
although not fully articulated yet, that is the shift you're seeing. There's a huge demand, but also skills and the skills that are needed are changing. And so degrees have a different level of impact. You know, Stephanie, one of the things that I would I would add that I think is important from a societal standpoint and a socioeconomic standpoint, points that both Gerald and Julie made, is part of what we need to do in our society is redefining what success is. When people talk about a meritocracy, it's not that you have to go to college to be successful. The reality is that People want to feel pride that they've accomplished something. And this is not an either or. What We are not against people going to college. What we are saying is there's a broader definition of success. And we need to be very, very clear that there are large segments of our population that feel disenfranchised, both black and white. So the reality is of 110 is while it's focused at this period of time on Black Americans, the reality is when we change the job specifications and what is necessary to be successful, that benefits everyone. So I think what we need to focus on, and I think Julie really hit on it, we're talking about a fundamental change in the creation and development of our workforce. And just think about the impact on our society of having people who feel that they really have an opportunity to be successful and that there's just not one pathway to be successful and that the merit will come because they've acquired the skills that are necessary. So what we're not talking about is a diminution in quality. I would frankly argue that We're going to see an increase in quality. We're going to see an improvement in productivity because of the transformation that we all are trying to bring about. I want to bring Ruth into the conversation. Ruth, can you share a little bit about your year up experience? And, you know, I think it's so interesting that you've you've landed at a bank, you've landed in a technology role. Were you always interested in in technology and business or was that a passion that was unlocked by your your year up experience? I was interested in a career in corporate America because I wanted a better economic advantage. And so I wanted to set a good foundation for the family that I wanted to have. I understood that college would be my best advantage, but finishing college was financially out of reach. And so um, when I found Europe, I was looking for my next opportunity. The interest there that was unlocked was through the technical skills that I learned in the program. So I learned how to take a computer apart and name all the parts and put it back together. And so that kind of sparked in me a drive to pursue a career in technology. And so what that has created for my family is an interest on all angles, at all levels, at all ages, to pursue those types of careers and not to just be caged into uh, the norm and what you've seen traditionally in your family. And so for me, that has really expanded my mindset and also created greater economic wealth and value in my family 
as a result of the program, I was able to purchase a home. And so when we talk about economic advantages and economic values and talk about the disparities, uh, not just between black or white, but between the educational gaps, right? When we talk about that, if you don't have a four-year degree at one point in this country, you couldn't get a certain type of job. And so now what we're seeing is a shift in uh, those types of candidates and how companies are looking at candidates like myself who come out of Europe and who are ready to work. So my interest was always to be successful, but I wouldn't have been able to do that unless I had the opportunity. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. We focused in this conversation up to now on the sort of um, opportunity and the onboarding. I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about the kind of support that you found helpful once you got to Bank of America and, you know, how companies can not only attract talent like you, but retain talent like you, especially in this day and age when we are in a war for talent, but also at, you know, in, in organizations where, you know, for a lot of uh, big corporations, it's, it's a little bit of a sink or swim mentality. You got the job now, you know, go run with it. What are some of the things that either Europe or Bank of America did that you particularly well to make sure you felt supported in your early days at the bank? One of the most important things that I think Bank of America and Europe got right was mentorship. And so right in out of the program in Europe, you have an opportunity to be mentored by several different types of individuals. So you have your internal mentorship at Europe and then you have a corporate mentorship. And so I think that companies like Bank of America and Europe get that right every time because Candidates that are coming in without the same experience or degrees need a different level of support. And the type of mentorship that I was afforded helped me to make better decisions throughout my career. Mentorship eventually expanded into sponsorship. And so sponsorship allowed me the opportunity to not only move laterally, but upwards. And so that type of support is needed in every organization. Julie, I'd, I'd ask you to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you're starting to put in place at Accenture as you have moved away from a four-year degree model to a skills model. You mentioned a couple of these um, internships and pilot programs that, that you've launched around the country. You're, you're surely thinking about how do we make sure that the individuals that we onboard in the next couple of years, you know, stay with Accenture, partly because, you know, you you, you don't want to go through the process of having to to hire new folks. Um, these are these are folks you've invested in. What are you What are you putting in place today that you think will make sure that these individuals stay with you for the long haul? Sure. Well, let's just start with um, our approach, whether it's with apprentices or um, other individuals who are hiring through our regular channels without degrees. Everything is rooted in our regular HR processes. Right. So you start with this is a part of our talent strategy. It's not separate. It's not run as corporate citizenship. This is about talent. 
And our people are held accountable in the same way for, you know, we, we hold our people accountable for retention and all of our programs around development and so on are focused on the individual, right? And so um, you just sort of start there. It has to be a part of what you actually do every day for talent. The second piece is just as um, we look at talent, you know, someone who comes in from who works in a studio is different than someone who's a programmer, right? We look at the individual needs um, of our talent. So for example, today we have 700 apprentices at Accenture, 700 in professional services. That is a cohort that had different needs because of uh, the backgrounds they had. Most of our um, uh, apprentices are individuals who come from backgrounds where they wouldn't have been uh, hired based on, because they haven't had prior experience. And so the learning that they have to do to um, be able to be trained is different than someone who did come out of a program where it's their second job doing, you know, programming, for example. Uh, And so, uh, again, it's tailoring it to understanding just as you would develop other talent. And then the third piece is we do partner, Europe is an amazing partner, and in every one of our cities, particularly around our apprentices, we partner with groups that, like Ruth described, can provide mentorship, We have um, programs that we provide to other organizations for soft skills uh, where you haven't. And then we've put in extra training. So early on in our apprenticeship program, we had someone who didn't understand how you used an Amex uh, and it ended up using, you know, all of this money and someone was about to turn it off. And like what we realized was they just never had a credit card before. Right. And so that, you know, you just need to make sure it's not, but we try to do it not in a sort of like they're special, but in the way we do everything is we tailor our programs to the talent that we're bringing in, right? And uh, and so that's so. So I think being systemic, you know, thinking of, um, I mean, our the people that we are bringing in are amazing. Our apprentices are incredible. We have better retention actually, um, and and it's fantastic talent. I think mean, that's a really important approach uh, that you have to have. And I have an apprentice in my own office. And one of the things I did that was both to lead by example, but also to learn, right? And, uh, and to have, you know, uh, to have, you know, people like Ruth, who is now our, you know, mentoring others. And also, I'm sure, mentoring your other, your peers and your leadership at B of A about how do we make sure to tap into this talent and provide the right resources as we would for all of our different types of talent. Gerald, what are some of the things that Europe has done to either change or evolve or tweak your support, the support part of Europe as a result of, of feedback from, from your graduates or, or from the companies? Are there things that you're doing differently in 2021 that you didn't do back in 2000 as a result of either the evolving needs of, of the corporations that host your graduates or the notes that you get from the graduates themselves? It's a great question, and we've been evolving uh, for 20 years, largely based on the feedback from employers. So if employers said, gee, we need more skill in this particular area, could be in a a hard skill like Excel, or there's uh, different types of business communications, we'll increase that. The goal is you've got to start with demand. You have to start with the employer, understand their needs, and then backwards engineer how do we help young people gain those skills, those competencies? So we have um, always, every six months, we say, what do we need to change to be more market aligned, such that we can meet the needs of the demand employers uh, over time? Now, during COVID, 
We shifted thousands and thousands of young adults to virtual environments overnight. We recognized we had to ensure they had infrastructure in their homes. So broadband connections, appropriate uh, PC technology, appropriate headphones. How, so you have to meet the learner where that individual is. And actually the pandemic created a passageway for us for an incredible amount of innovation, which means we've better learned how can we use technology to allow more young adults to have access to the program and to scale more quickly, more efficiently in the years to come. So that learning was a hard fought learning through the pandemic, but also helped us understand how can we better serve a young person and prepare them for a good job that pays a livable wage. Ken, Gerald referenced something that I, I think is a really important segue to the, the, the next part of the conversation, which is that, you know, employers are coming to him and saying, here are the skills we need. It seems like this whole conversation is ultimately about the business imperative, the, that um, bringing on, you know, new individuals, rethinking the kind of ways that we hire it's not just about responding to the need to be more equitable. It's also, you know, companies are going to be in a fight for talent. They need more people. They need more people with the right skills. You know, talk a little bit about why this is not just a DE&I initiative, but this is a business initiative. I think what's, what's very clear, and I think both Gerald and, and Julie have, have hit upon this point, uh, there is a war for talent. And companies clearly are struggling with matching the demands of their business with the available talent. And the level of innovation that is taking place, but I think has to be ratcheted up, is if you just think about the whole talent ecosystem, it's very fragmented. Uh, that can be organized in a more efficient way. But again, it's hard for any single company to do that. So I think 110 can be a change agent in enabling uh, a more integrated, comprehensive talent ecosystem, working with corporations. But I think what's, what's most important, and, and Julie hit on this, this isn't a nice to do initiative. Uh, this is not, you know, we need to make amends. Absolutely. <laughs> this country needs to make amends for the racism that existed in this country. And we got to deal with it. We can't ignore it. But the reality is, it is a business imperative. We want to build enduring companies. We want to have a very vibrant, growing economy. We don't want large segments of our population to not be productively engaged in our economy. And so I think what is very important now, and I believe this very strongly, is corporations exist because society allows us to exist. And we do have a broader role to bring about a fairer, just society. And we actually have a responsibility. If we're going to have a healthy economy and our companies are going to do well, we've got to have a healthy society. But the business imperative alone that we need to constantly improve the productivity 
in our companies and we need to improve the health of our society. And there is nothing more impactful on our society than having people who in fact are in jobs that they feel is really affording them an opportunity. And so we need to have the level of aggressiveness and persistence against this objective and to hold each of us accountable for really getting real progress. Can we have a lot of uh, viewers of the Innovation Festival who work for mid-sized companies or startups, many of founders and CEOs of, of, of fast growth companies who may feel like they don't yet have the wherewithal to be a 110 committed company. They can't quite yet be part of a coalition like 110. What's your advice for fast growing or mid-sized companies about how they can tap into uh, this movement? I would say two things. One is there are a number of organizations, Europe is one, that would be more than happy to work with you. 110 over time, our plan is, in fact, to work with all types of companies at all stages. And what is absolutely there for them to take advantage of is there are a number of best practices. And one of the concepts, Stephanie, that General Catalyst is very focused on is we've created a concept called responsible innovation, where companies right from the beginning, you got to focus on these issues. And one of the areas that we think is important is economic opportunity and inclusion. That needs to be engineered in your company from the beginning. And I really do think that there are a number of organizations that would be incredibly pleased to work with startups, small companies, medium-sized companies. But this movement, I want to be very, very clear, is not the province of big companies. We, in fact, need every type of company to embrace the need to, in fact, have a more productive workforce. And frankly, for companies starting off, for smaller and medium-sized companies, they need this advantage. And so they should be very focused on this. This is not something that after 20 years, then you should focus on having a more productive workforce. You got to do that right from the beginning. Ruth, let me ask you a question from a slightly different perspective, which is that we also have a lot of young people who participate in the Innovation Festival who are choosing an entrepreneurial path because they feel like corporate America is not for them. We see lots of founders of color starting their businesses specifically because they feel shut out of, of the corporate opportunity. You know, what, what case would you make to those young people about why they should consider a year up, why they should consider applying for one of these apprenticeships that will allow them to get experience inside a corporate setting? Well, I think that the push to become an entrepreneur has really helped a lot of people to discover their value. And so the value that's being discovered there can absolutely be added to the corporate setting as well. Um, for example, the three tools that helped me to succeed at Bank of America 
were determination, resilience, and hunger. And I think as an entrepreneur, those are three absolutes that you must have in order to drive your business to the next level and to get it off of the ground. So I personally was really desperate for change. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are experiencing that as well. So when I was determined to complete the program, I would make sure that every pay period, instead of grocery shopping, I put gas in the car to get to Europe daily. I think those are the types of decisions that entrepreneurs make daily to see their business thrive and succeed. So there are a lot of parallels between entering corporate America and starting up your own business as an entrepreneur. Because I knew that I could not change my situation, I showed up every day and defeated every obstacle. And I think that's the kind of candidate that Year Up brings to the table. These are young people that are resilient, determined, and and really hungry for opportunity. Yeah, well, it's it's such an impressive cohort. Julie, can you talk a little bit about your role as a leader in driving the kind of change that you want to see at Accenture? You know, I see the emails that you send to your teams. I see that this is something that you've personally really made a, a strong commitment to. Again, speaking to the other leaders who are watching us today, you know, what kind of advice do you have for leadership when it comes to making sure that um, that these commitments are adhered to? Well, first of all, having Ruth as part of your team and having her talk about uh, and, and listening to her, like that's the best way to get leaders to want to, you know, hire differently and to focus because every leader needs great talent. And I just have to say, Ruth, I just love listening to you because it's like, it's, it's, it's so brilliant for all of everybody who's watching this program, right? They're not going to remember us. They're going to say, I need talent like Ruth, right? Because I will just tell you, I am talking to CEOs every single day. It is the top issue is talent. And there's this great sense of, I need different kinds of talent because we're in the age of digital transformation. We need people that think differently. It's never been more important every single day, right? And so as a leader, one of the most important things that I have to do is to make sure that my company is tapping into the best talent. And when you root these decisions, not because I have a passion, you know, this is something for Julie, but in the business imperative, And then you help, as Ken does so well, articulate that not only do we have a business imperative around our own talent, but in the talent of our, in the healthiness of our communities in order to thrive as businesses, right? And that's my job to make sure it's on the agenda. We're investing the time and we're letting people understand it, right? Uh, And I think too often companies still today have these things sort of in this realm as if it was corporate citizenship because, oh, well, that's who always has worked with your app. You know, that's who, and, and, and you have to essentially remove the barriers within the company to thinking about this as anything other than critical for business. 
So you can reinforce positive change, but there are barriers and like, it's not embedded. Our HR planning uses planning. How many apprentices are we hiring as a part of how we're filling our talent? So that's my job, right? Is to make sure that we're thinking, we're putting it in systems, we're educating our leaders and they're seeing the power of the strategy. And just to say, Stephanie, that that what Julie said, and then imagine combining that with 56 other companies around what are the practice changes we can make systemically in our companies that create more equitable and inclusive pathways for those who've been underrepresented. And then you, you distill that down into the best practices. You measure it so you know what works and tie it to business value. That's why I'm so, so inspired by 110, because it has the absolute potential to be the catalyst to look out in 10, 20 years and say, why are we more opportunity friendly in corporate America? And to trace it back to the work and the systems and the congregation of folks who've come together, Ken and Julie being two of the amazing folks driving this to create 110. It's a big deal for the United States. Absolutely. Gerald, in the 20 years, 21 years now that, that Europe has been around, you've you've gone through a global financial crisis, a, a pandemic. There have been some economic ups and downs. Do, do you see do you see companies pulling back on their commitments or do you see the the number of graduates they're willing to take slip when when times are hard? And I guess it's a long winded way of asking, like, you know, do, do you worry that if there is an economic downturn that some of these commitments will be things that fall that get on the chopping block? You know, in, in May of 2020, which was some tough days for many of us in corporate America, I got a call from Bank of America and they said, we want to let you know that one, not only will we continue our strong commitment to you, we're going to increase it. Um, I got that call from other organizations as well. The driving forces here, whether it's the demographic shifts, it means if we don't include all people in a talent pipeline, we will not have healthy competitive companies. Whether it's the pressure positively from customers, from employees, from investors, to make sure we're building pluralistic societies in our companies. This is a one-way ticket. And I tell you, I've seen more CEOs reach out in the last year than in the prior 20 that says, tell me what we can do differently, how we can do that differently. We have a responsibility. And that is something that is absolutely different. It is not purely a knee-jerk reaction to the horrible events we witnessed with George Floyd. That may have been a catalyst, but the change we're making is not just an incremental change that we will forget about. I do not believe that. And I can tell you for a lot of the leaders in Europe who are all around the country working with hundreds of companies, they would say the same thing. They believe this is a moment in time that we can make a meaningful step forward in creating greater economic justice for those who most need and deserve it in this country. And ultimately, you asked about the American dream. The word the American dream, the phrase was coined in 1931 by James Truslow Adams, Pulitzer Prize winning historian. And he said, the American dream is the dream of a country in which life can be better and richer and fuller for everyone based on their ambition and accomplishment. It's the dream of a social order where everyone can be recognized for what they are, regardless of fortuitous circumstance of birth or privilege. That is what we have the opportunity to deliver today 
And I tell you, it is a joy to work with leaders like Julian Ken to try to make this American dream a reality for more people in this country. I'm going to close out by going to Ruth and asking her to speak a little bit about what you would tell leaders who who don't quite understand the value of of, of a program like Europe, who don't quite understand the value of, of what 110 is doing, you know, based on your experiences and based on the world that you now find yourself in, what are one or two things you would tell to leaders who, who still are on the fence about increasing their commitments to hiring more diversely and increasing their commitments to thinking a little bit differently about bringing in people with a different uh, career path? I think that now is the time to lean in. I think that organizations have stepped up and continue to step up in supporting our community and supporting individuals that want to make a better life for themselves. Bank of America stepped up and said that they would be changing the minimum wage to $25 by 2025. And I think that that is such an important catalyst for change, to have a platform and to use it in a way that benefits others, right? And not just big businesses, but the community and other companies that are, you know, are are partnering to become the foundation of what change is for 2020 and on. I don't think I had ever imagined that I would see such unrest in the community and the, and the, the, in America during 2020. We were facing not only a global pandemic, but also just social unrest for all of the things that were going on in our country. And so to see a, a company step up and take some ownership and how we invest back into uh, Europe interns and apprentices, mentors and mentees, to see them make those changes is really just inspiring. And I would encourage every leader and innovator to jump onto that ship um, because now is the time. Well, it's a really inspiring way to end our conversation. And Ruth, I think you really summed up not only the importance of, of, of companies stepping up, but also of, of the kind of coalition building that we've seen from Gerald, Ken, and Julie. So I want to thank you all for your time today and um, encourage all leaders to, to heed the advice that we heard from all of the panelists. It's uh, it, great words of wisdom. And I thank you all for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie.